My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to think Trump was going to be president forever. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, where we will explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, or frankly anyone that works on the show, uh, this is mostly a joke intro, but like, if you know someone or are someone who works on the show Burn Notice and isn't mad at us, please talk to us. We We would love to talk to you about the show. We have so I mean, many. If you're questions. mad at us, you can talk to us too. That's actually fair, and I will. Yeah. I will put the unedited version, and the only thing I will edit out is my own coughing, which I <coughs> am still doing a lot of. But other than that, I can promise you, hand to God, I will sign a contract. If you're mad at us about burn notice, I will let you on the show, and I will not edit you or censor you at all. The only thing I, I will mean, edit out is my coughs. But only if you worked on burn notice. Yes, If you're mad about Burn Notice and you're just, like, a person, then fuck you. Oh, yeah. Any of you Reddit motherfuckers, I don't give a shit. Um, But anyone who did work on the show, uh, you can get in contact with us at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, that is burnnoticed with a D. D is in Donovan. Jeffrey Donovan, please come on our show. All right, Bree, how you doing? Still coughing. I'm still I'm 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 in month two of coughing, uh, but I mean, we are recording this technically only a day after the U.S. presidential election was officially called, and so I'm oh, feeling pretty but good. Like a week almost, like five days, five oh six God. days yeah, after it like it started being called. Yeah, uh, like the election was on Tuesday. All, we are recording on Sunday. As you all remember. Uh, it was a long time between when the votes started being counted and when they were called. But for us, it's just at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're yeah. trying to place us in time, <laughs> uh, it is right after Joe Biden has been called. It, but before Donald Trump's military coup has been attempted. Sure. Uh, but after the four seasoned landscaping. Uh, oh, my God. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good oh, things have happened. And you you want to know so what I great. You want to know what I did to celebrate this weekend, Chris? What did you do to celebrate Brie Castellini? I didn't work. It, yesterday was the first day that I fully did not do anything productive in more than 3 months. Oh my god. That's <laughs> wild. Truly. I know. It's wild. It helped that I worked all last weekend so that I could be ahead of myself and didn't need to like rush anything. But yeah, I fully didn't work. Fuck Donald Trump. I'm taking the day off. Yeah, fuck Donald Trump. So how how are you how are you feeling, Chris? I'm all right. Well, like we'll see what happens next. I'm very curious to see what happens next, but I'm relieved right now. Like, yeah, the word of the day was relief, mm-hmm. and I am relieved. That's the way that it. I am. Is. Also it suddenly relieved. seems like there's a little bit more of a future than there was before. Mm-hmm. I said this on Twitter. But the day that he got called, I, like, listened to a podcast and I was like, oh, this has been recorded before the election. And it had the same kind of instinctive reaction at, for a second that I had four years ago when I was like, oh, this was recorded before the election. 
But four years ago, when that happened, I couldn't listen to podcasts before the election. Remember how you couldn't listen to podcasts mm-hmm. before the election? Yeah, it was too fucking dark. It it, it, it it read like a Fallout 4 terminal where it's like all of the pre-war stuff of like, everything's fine. Definitely, we're not going to get bombed out and have this message discovered 200 years in the future. I'm having a I great know. day. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, but this time, I was like, sure, I can listen to podcasts from before the election. Because yeah. they don't know, but it's like a better thing. And I'm just thinking about everyone listening to our past few episodes in the lead up to like this episode when like they know the election and we don't and we are just terrified (laughs) but yeah like hopefully republicans vote in no one's best interest except for their own and i'm not saying of other republicans i'm saying other republican politicians that's the thing about the republican party that i think that most republican voters don't actually realize because they're so truly like inundated with falsehoods and a totally different reality than the rest of us are in. Republicans don't give a fuck about anyone. They don't even give a fuck about other white people. The only white people that they care about are the white people who are also Republican politicians and the ones that are like billionaires who will fund their campaigns. That's the only people. They don't even really care that much about billionaire politicians in the future. Yeah, exactly. It's like billionaire politicians right now before the world ends. Yeah, you could say that they, they have a bit of a blind spot. Republican voters. Oh, my God. (laughs) Speaking of this week on Burn, Notice, we are talking about season four, episode 11 of Burn Notice called Blind Spot. It aired August 19th, 2010, and was written by frenemy of the pod and hopeful redemption arc earner Michael Horowitz and directed by Michael Smith, who made the USA rounds on many episodes of Suits and White Collar and more recently uh, was on Bull and Law and Order SVU. So he basically just makes the procedural rounds at this point. Um, I also would like to make this uh, definitive statement that white people need to cool it on the name Michael for a little while. There's too many Michaels for one episode. There's entirely too many Michaels. I mean, obviously we have Michael Horowitz, Michael Michael Smith, Michael Weston, Michael Wilson. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is frankly too many. Yeah, it's too many. It's too many. Uh, but in any case... I uh, promise, Bree, yeah. that I will never have children. <laughs> I mean, you're allowed to have children. They just can't be white and named Michael. Fair enough. <laughs> That's the only those are the only things. My children will unfortunately be white, but they will not be named Michael. Okay, so like I can have children that are white, but they can't be named Michael. Yes, or they can be what named if they're Michael, not but can't white. be white. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. See, in that case, you're exactly. allowed to name them Michael. I will cool. look down on you more I, so like than I would otherwise, but that is a circumstance where I will allow you to have uh, Michaels. What if I pull a like uh, Star Trek Discovery and name my daughter Michael? I think you'll notice that I specifically said kid. I did not specify a gender. That's valid. And honestly, Chris, the fact that you would gender this conversation says a lot about you and like the archaic way that you approach gender. And like, yeah, I think maybe we need to unpack that a little bit before we get into the weeds. Like I am famously gender critical. Yes, famously gender critical Christine Cherry. Uh, do you yeah. want to know what this episode's about? Because I haven't seen it in a week and I don't remember. Sure. Tell me. Let's see if, if the IMDb description jogs your memory. 
great. It reads, as Sam and Jesse reach out to the CEO who wants Simon's encoded Bible, Sam continues to mislead Jesse about who burned him. Meanwhile, Sam and Fee try to out-con a con man who is stealing money from unsuspecting widows. Something uh, I just noticed about this IMDb description is that Michael's name does not appear in it. Yeah, this episode is interesting in that, like... Michael is not really involved in the A-plot at all. Yeah, not really. It was It's more of a it, Sam thing, which is an interesting is choice, get, considering what happens episode. at the end. Yeah, considering what happens at the end, it is notable that Michael is so sort of backseat. Yeah, it's interesting. Kind of like it. Yeah, I don't hate it. Um, but Jeffrey Donovan, please come on our show. We love of you. Of course, yeah. No, we love you, Jeffrey Donovan. But like, yeah. Yeah, you seem like a neat dude. We could talk about Colorado together. I grew up there. You live there currently with your wife and children. That's like not creepy at all. <laughs> it's way less creepy than I was about Liam Aiken as a teenager. I knew his favorite color, his dog's name, what his dad did before he died, what year his dad died, what his mom's profession was, what his middle name was. Uh, I'm pretty sure I had his street address for a little while, but I was too chicken shit to actually confirm it. Um, I knew his band name. I got them to email me on MySpace and on Yahoo Mail. Um, yeah, no, I could go a lot further. And frankly, oh, everyone. we're doing the wrong podcast. <laughs> Wait, why are we doing Burn Notice when we should be doing Stalking Liam Ake? Can I say? I do not remember who this human being is. Like, I, the only thing that I know about this human being is, is that you like soft stalked him? That I was that I was obsessed with him. That I wouldn't say soft stalked. I feel like I hard stalked him. Let's be <laughs> let's not mince words, Chris. Uh, Liam Aiken is the the kid from um, the Jim Carrey series of unfortunate events. He was Klaus Baudelaire in the movie version. You're such a weird person, Brie. He was also the ch- the kid and stepmom. Uh, he was also in Road to Perdition, but I haven't seen Road to Perdition. And you haven't seen was... Road to Perdition? No. Me neither. I hear it's it's very, you know, impressive or whatever. Seems boring. Uh, I don't, he was, I no he was also, it. oh, fuck, I don't remember the name of it, but he was also in a dog movie. That's where he adopted his I like how you're like, from. I knew his address, but also <laughs> he was in a movie with a dog, maybe? No, I know it. I know it. I watched that movie, but I don't remember the name because it's one of those like Movies forgettable with like dog pun names. You know, um, like it's like Sit Boy see. or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's Turner and Hooch. It's yeah. Liam Aiken, was in, Liam Aiken played the dog. Um, <laughs> he was also a second runner-up for uh, Harry Potter after Daniel Radcliffe, but they wanted to go with an actual British kid. So he lost out in, like, the final round. So he was first runner-up. Uh, I guess that's true. Yeah, first runner-up. Yeah. There might have been one other... I just, like, I don't, want our Twitter, I don't want our Twitter followers to be like, it was first runner-up, Brie. <laughs> I wanted to be that way. Anyways, his favorite color was orange. I can't keep doing this until we actually Ugh. start our Stockingly Making podcast. So do you want to get into the weeds with me, Chris? Yeah, let's get in the weeds. I promise to stay a safe six foot distance so that I don't get my virus or my stockingly Liam Aiken stank all over you. 
that is valid. I do not want any stank. Stankless weeds. We start the episode with the core three hanging out poolside somewhere, discussing their newly forged intelligence file that they hope will fool Jesse into sniffing someone not Michael Weston shaped for who burned him. Specifically, they want him to sniff someone John Barrett shaped. If you'll remember, John Barrett is the CEO who worked with Simon, hired Simon, is in charge of the war for profit scheme, etc., etc. That guy. He's the rich guy. Yeah. They have he's created a, a fake intelligence he's our big file. Bad guy. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a big bad guy. They they've faked an intelligence file uh so that Jesse will help them and also kind of two birds, one stone it where they can all bring down this guy and also they can pretend that this guy is the reason that Jesse got burned in the first place. Yeah. I'm sure nothing will go wrong. No, nothing will go wrong, ever. Speaking of Jesse, back at his little garage apartment at Madeline's, Jesse pours over the file and gets jumpy to go after Barrett and Michael suggests that they call him out with the Bible bait. So instead of just like going for him, call Barrett to come to them. Then there's a beat where Maddie puts some pineapple and finger sandwiches on the table and they all look at her and she's like, I'm playing cards with my friends. And they're like, I guess we'll go then. And it was a very weird beat that seemed like it was setting something up and I was like, And it wasn't. No, it was. Okay. So did you notice this as well? It was basically, she was basically like, my friends are coming over to play canasta and they're like, okay, bye. (laughs) But like the, the, the look on her face, I guess was just like to show that she is uncomfortable with them lying to Jesse in her own home. In her house. But like, that's, that's not how the beat said like sank in it was it no, was as yeah. if something else was gonna happen i assumed like the canasta group was gonna come back for some right. reason i thought it was gonna be a, like that's what it was gonna be a canasta client yeah exactly i assumed a canasta client was in our future but no there's just this very weird beat that seems to imply something but it, it's nothing she just put sandwiches down in a really like pointed way i wasn't sure if the sandwiches were supposed to be bad like, it was a weird beat. It was, like, weirdly handled. Yeah, I and I think that that's a directing note. It did feel like a directing thing. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a weird directing thing that happened. Um, anyways, Michael and Jesse go to the loft because they've been kicked out of the Canasta house to call Barrett and put it all out in the open. Barrett does that wild, powerful guy thing where he's in a conference room with a bunch of people. And then instead of leaving to take a call, he makes everyone else leave, which is objectively the least efficient, but more power move sort of play. Uh, and then Michael Weston's like, hi, this is Michael Weston. I have your Bible. Please come get it. And Barrett is like, I just made everyone leave, um, but I actually don't. This is a wrong number. I don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't sound familiar. My Bible is in my home drawer, and thank you very much. No soliciting. And he's like, everything's fine. I don't know why you're calling me. Michael is eating a yogurt all casual-like during this conversation, and uh, that is the end of the cold open. Yeah, it's also very important. Barrett is Robert Patrick. Uh, like, I mean, he, he looks familiar, but who is that? Uh, he is the T-1000 from Terminator 2. He was also on X-Files for a while. He's Robert Patrick. He's like, he's a, he's a big name. They got a name for this guy. This is like one of the more famous people that has been on Burn Notice. Wow. Like outside of, I guess, Burt Reynolds, because they had Burt Reynolds on. But like, I cannot actually think of anyone else who is as famous this point as Robert Patrick that has been on Burn Notice. Fascinating. Because again, like, there's no one who has like, quite as an indelible pop culture presence is like you know being with t1000 and he's good he's like which is good because like i was kind of worried about this character a little bit because it's like 
oh, wow, it's just like a business guy. This guy is going to be boring. They did a good job with the casting. They like made it kind of just by kind of doing a stunt casting. They kind of made him seem intimidating. And also just Robert Patrick is good at this sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah. But he, 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 he makes a big deal out of call- sending everyone out of the room and then is like, I don't know what you're talking about. You sound like you're eating yogurt. Maybe call back next time when you're not eating yogurt. And Michael Weston's like, come to Miami, bye. Uh, so that's the end of the cold open. Um, then we come back to the show where um, Michael and Fiona are like hanging out at Carlitos waiting for Madeline, who called a meeting with them. And she comes in hot, lamenting her bad canasta score. So is that what the beat was about earlier, I guess, so that we can make this joke? She's like, but- <laughs> would you say that she is done getting canasty? <laughs> yeah, Madeline's all canastied out. And the reason that she did so poorly at Canasta, according to her, is that she's distracted about Jesse. She hates lying to him. And Michael's like, don't worry, mom, it'll be over soon. And then she just leaves, which is she very fast. She just leaves. She like makes them meet her outside of the of the house, which I guess makes sense because Jesse does live with her. So she gets there and is like says one line and then she just leaves again. And it's like, you're not going to eat? Okay. No, it's like, it's so fucking wild. And she was like, also late. Power That's move, the other honestly. thing. She, she drove co- there. <laughs> she didn't even like, usually what she does is she accosts him at his loft. But no, she made him coming, fucking like, come out. They've ordered drinks. They're waiting for her. She comes in, lays like one or two sentences on them, and then fucking leaves. Michael's like, I don't know. At least I got drinks. <laughs> And then during the only other thing that I found notable in this scene, which is like a finally from me, is that at least Fee mentions that she probably shouldn't have encouraged Jesse to move in with Madeline. Because like, I've been waiting for Fee's like whole fucking, you know, oh, I can't believe we're lying to him, Michael. I hate this. It makes me think less of you as a man. But like, Fiona's the one that kept him in the loop. It would be one thing if like they occasionally called him in on stuff and like Fee was upset that they were both using him and whatever. But like, Fee's the one that fucking had him move in with Madeline. And finally she was like yeah that's kind of my bad but then she leaves to meet a client with sam because yeah they just fucking take jobs like fee and sam are like a full service little thing and michael weston's like their sidekick at this point and i love that really frankly they are and like this episode if nothing else is like a decent argument for this being the fee and sam show yeah i love it (laughs) with michael weston who is a better show it is. It's more interesting because there's more to do. Also, we've had the fucking Michael Weston CAA showdown for four and a half seasons and none of it is interesting. It stopped being interesting basically immediately when they couldn't commit to what the thing was. No, yeah. Anyways, so uh, Sam and Fee go and meet up with Emily, our new client, a widow who was scammed out of her life savings by a sleazeball, which is uh, why Sam is brought along. There is some joke in one of these scenes where Fiona's like, yeah, we're going to go meet with some sleazeball. And uh, of course, I'm bringing Sam. (laughs) Sam suggests that they fight fire with fire because this scammer isn't the only charming man in Miami. So uh, that means Chuck Finley's coming back and I'm very excited. I love me a Chuck Finley episode. Meanwhile, Michael and Jesse lay a booby trap at a warehouse and leave the burner phone that Michael used to call Barrett on. So the phone that Michael Weston used to call Barrett in the cold open scene apparently is a phone with service from the guy's like telephone company. I don't know. He's the CEO of many things. He's the CEO of many things. Yeah. I'm going to just say that it's (laughs) T-Mobile. 
Okay. So I'm going to say that John Barrett <laughs> owns T-Mobile. So the CEO of T-Mobile is the bad guy. Michael used a T-Mobile cell phone and is now putting it in like a booby-trapped warehouse to draw him out. And there's some like fun stuff there, I guess. Then have back with Fee and Sam, they get their eyes on Charles, the widow con man, and they've learned that he is more than just a con man because some of the women he scammed back in London, because Charles is British, uh, he is British. Missing. He is not After as fancy scammed. as our last fancy British man. No, he's this guy's a white trash British guy. Yeah, I mean he's trying to be fancy. Like, well, of course, he's not like a chav or anything. <laughs> But he's like, yeah. And so uh, as they're kind of like watching him work, um, Sam's like, it's time for some Chuck Finley action. If he's like, well, but that might get confusing because this guy's name is Charles and you should probably get a new ID. And Sam's like, absolutely not. Hard pass. Chuck Finley is forever, which I liked. I thought it was funny that finally he had to like make a choice of, is it too confusing if I have the same name as the Mark? And he's like, no, it's not. There's lots of people named Charles. Chuck Finley is forever. What if they had met someone named Chuck Finley? I hope someday they do. I they hope to, to God right? there is some kind of like finale Chuck Finley nonsense. Like it feels like something that Burn Notice would do where either they do the thing that I pitched a couple of weeks ago uh, about how like Chuck Finley is a keynote speaker at the spy convention and they have to hire someone to play Chuck Finley because everyone knows Sam Axe, but uh, people have just heard of Chuck Finley and Sam gets upset at the way that he portrays him. So either that, which I maintain is the better option, or they need an actual option. Chuck Finley and it becomes some kind of capers situation. I'm always in favor of caper situations. Exactly. Um, okay. So Sam and Fee, as Chuck and Alexis, crash a private seating area where Charles and his latest Mark are drinking at a bar. And they start to lay the groundwork for Chuck definitely also being a con man and Fee being his Mark. Fee is going absolutely ham on her alibi this week. And she she does this insane thing where anytime she laughs, she does it with her mouth fully open. Like yeah, she's some wild. kind of deep sea creature trying to like get as much, you know, uh, what, what is it called? Krill. Yeah, or... she's she's trying to get krill and plankton up in them gams, and her mouth is just yeah. fully open. <laughs> it's so fucking the, like, wild. Be, like, uh, sifted through her baleen. <laughs> exactly. You know that relatable thing that women do when they're exactly. Besotted. Yeah. No, she's great in this scene. She's very fun. It's hysterical. What I love about when Sam and Fee have to pretend to be like in a relationship versus Fee and Michael is that Fee and Michael, it's always a little bit like, Ooh, are we role playing or is this our future? And then when Sam and Fee do it, it's like so over the top. Like that episode a couple of weeks ago where Fee was kidnapped, but she was uh, supposedly Sam's hu- uh, wife. And, you know, they kept making like, honey, I'm home sort of references. Like yeah. they go really broad when they're in a relationship as undercover. And I love it. It's so much fun because there's it absolutely really no fun. sexual chemistry whatsoever. They're no, just having a they really have, good like, time. <laughs> Exactly. It's delightful. It's really fun. They get some drinks. Charles is clearly kind of upset that Chuck is clearly horning in on his territory. Uh, And then when uh, the girls go off to powder their noses, Chuck Finley is like, man, I am a huge fan of you. And I'm really sorry. I know I'm on your turf, but like I had to meet you. You're just like such a cool dude. Also, I've been trying to scam this one lady, but my accounts are all fucked up from some 
sniffing around, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, can I put her money in your account? You get to keep 20% of it. It would really do me a solid. I'm such a big fan of yours. That's what the setup is. And then we skip over to the bathroom where the girls are talking while powdering their noses. And we learn that this current mark of Charles, uh, her recent tragedy is that she lost her sister. And then we get this like very dramatic zoom in on Fiona as she like learns this information because Fiona famously also has a dead sister. So now we we have the emotional hook for Fee. Charles is fucking going down. And then Charles is uncharmed by Chuck and kind of leaves Can in I a huff. say it's really great. It's a really great joke that like he kept the name Chuck. It is <laughs> slightly obnoxious for our podcast. Yeah, it's a little bit. It doesn't matter. But bad guy Charles is uncharmed by good guy Chuck playing bad guy Chuck and leaves in a huff with his mark and is like, get out of my territory. I don't know what your deal is, but I'm not giving you my accounts. And Fee is like so infuriated that A, this guy's going after a lady with a dead sister and B, that their first gambit didn't work. She's like, okay, so we'll just kill him. We'll just fucking kill this guy. And Sam has to physically like wrestle her away from him before she just kills him um, to be like, no, we <laughs> there's gotta be a like plan B, C, or D before we get to just shoot the motherfucker because otherwise we're not going to get his money back and Fee, you know, is eventually talked down but is clearly incensed yeah. and I love that Can for I say her. really quickly, bad guy Charlie is the smartest that he will ever be in this episode in this scene. <laughs> yeah. He will get progressively dumber as this episode goes on. Well, because we progressively run out of time to solve the case. Sam and Fee are in a fight now because Sam didn't let Fiona kill the guy. So instead of bringing Sam along, she brings Michael along to their client meeting with Emily, um, where they reveal plan B. They are going to drug Charles, bad guy Charles, so he blacks out and then convince him he went on a spending bender because apparently he's like pretty... He keeps his money pretty close to the vest. Um, so they're like, well, now we have to freak him out. Let's make him think that like, oh shit, like I spent all my money and trick him into checking his bank account while they watch him do so. And then I think in this scene is when they notice that Emily has a boat called something that I'm sure I'll see. It's later. called it's back pain. Oh, right. Yes. The boat is called back pain, which is a funny joke, I guess, but a terrible name for a boat. Yeah, it's the SS back I mean, there's no good names for boats. All names for boats are bad. I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's like one or two that are like kind of funny. I mean, like, it's like fine. Like, all names for boats are bad and all names for boats are good. I honestly think that the best way to name a boat is to try to name the boat a thing that a boat should never be named. Steve. So back pain. Yeah, well, anyhow, the back pain is a boat that she and her husband built together, and it's called back pain because it was a painful process. And she really loves that boat, but she might have to sell it soon um, because of, you know, the debts from bad guy Charles. Remember the boat, it will come back. Um, yeah. Back so pain always comes back. You're never rid of it. Um, so on to plan B, Chuck Finley heads back to the bar and offers Charles a very gaudy, what I assumed is definitely bugged watch as a quote, king's hunting tax to apologize for horning in on his turf. Uh, bad guy Charles says some degrading things about women and reveals he has a partner back across the pond who disposes of the clingy ones. So Chuck Finley gets a little bit of a justice hard on and gets him drunk enough to drug. 
So now both Fiona and Chuck Finley slash Sam Axe have emotional hooks to take this motherfucker down. Yeah. And Chuck proceeds to get Charles extremely drunk so that he can drug him and it will be like not, not noticed. Basically, the, yeah, the voiceover at some point, is like... At some point, bad guy Charlie says some sort of really misogynist thing. I forget mm-hmm. the exact line. Yeah, I didn't want like, to write it down. That Sam Axe will echo later. Oh, Yeah. So it he it'll it it was fine I guess I just don't like writing things like that down or saying that that's valid which is why I'm just saying some misogynist line <laughs> there yeah there is a callback to this line but we will not be saying it out loud uh, so yeah. they drag a passed out Charles back to his beach house or hotel or something it's unclear and Fee bugs his phone even though didn't they bug the watch apparently not the bu- the watch is just no, a they fancy never bugged watch. the watch the watch was just like a. It's just a king's hunting tax. Yeah, which just to get bad guy Charlie to trust him. Yeah, which is very surprising to me. I don't know. I feel like it's a missed opportunity, but whatever. Um, so Fee bugs his phone and then texts dead sister girl that she should like leave and never come back. So she breaks up him from his current mark. And then they kind of like set the stage. So back to the B plot, Jesse and Michael stake out their booby trap warehouse place and jesse gets suspicious at how airtight that fake file they gave him is and um the story with the fake file they were like yeah some of one of uh one of sam's buddies in japan just like had this but like we are the only people in the world that could have actually possibly put all of the information together and gotten the name barrett down and jesse's like i mean how do we know this guy is trustworthy this seems like so airtight it feels kind of sus uh jesse's like sounds fake but okay uh well he doesn't really say but okay he says sounds fake and then just stops and stares at them yeah and uh michael luckily does not have to respond in this scene because someone finally falls for their booby trap and electrocutes himself into a stupor because they've like electrocuted where the phone would be michael is wearing a brown polo shirt and it's the worst outfit i've seen yet because he looks like a fucking middle schooler uh, if oh you did more to Can I say that? Please talk to us. What do you think Jeffrey Donovan was like in middle school? <laughs> I can't get over this fucking blue or this fucking brown polo shirt. Like gap polo shirt, not fitted, just brown and cotton and collared. And I don't, I don't understand. But anyways, while wearing this terrible outfit, he and Jesse hogtie the intruder who does the classic, you don't know who you're messing with bit. And Jesse heads out to help with the case of the week while Michael babysits and swats at mosquitoes because apparently they're in an abandoned boathouse, not a warehouse. So I was Yeah, and there's lots of mosquitoes everywhere. Yeah, Mosquitoes are only mentioned... For this scene and the next scene. and that Yeah, is exactly. I was going to say, it's like a tiny runner. And so what I assume happened is that uh, the actual location that they were shooting at had bugs. And they were like, we've got to mention this. It's so fucking we irritating. Gotta the bugs. And if one of us accidentally like twitches during a scene, we need to have some kind of in-scene explanation. That's valid i'm, I'm um, almost certain that that's what happened that happened when yeah. uh when my little brother was filming his directorial debut back when i was like 14 it was a it was a short film called manhunter and it was shot out in the um like the desert hills just outside of our neighborhood which is a bunch was of it, was it about hannibal lecter no it was about okay let me see if i can remember the plot because it's crazy and you can okay, uh, to be fair though can... a lot of things are about hannibal lecter no this one's not about hannibal lecter nobody eats anyone uh as far as i know but 
<laughs> you can Google this, by the way. Anyone who's curious about my uh, acting t- debut and my little brother's directing debut can search Manhunter on YouTube, and it will not be one of the first results. But if you like Google my name and Manhunter, I'm sure you'll find it. Anyways, the plot as I remember it, and I've watched Do you think recently. we could like maybe link to it when this episode comes out? <sighs> yeah, I'll link to it in the video or the podcast description because... You know, I have nothing to hide. So the plot of Manhunter <laughs> is that um, there. So the the main story of what we think is happening is me and three of my guy friends are going to live off the land in the desert for a day as like a school journalism project. Like we're going to the desert. We're getting dropped off into the desert and we have a gun for some reason. We're like 16 years old or something. And they've given us a gun and just like dropped us off in the middle of nowhere. Who's they? It's unclear. Uh, well, the person who actually drops us off is one of my neighbors um, uh, who will come back. Don't you worry. But uh, yeah, we just get dropped off in the middle of the desert and we're going to live off the land for the day and write about it for the school paper. Uh, this is not actually that far off because, like, a couple of years later, for the school paper, me and two of my fellow writers on the paper spent an entire night in our 24-hour Walmart and wrote about that. And that was just, like, a thing that we wrote for the school paper. So I'm just saying it's a slow news county. Like, basically, it's like, yep, somebody else died from meth. Uh, somebody else died from suicide. Everything's bad here. Uh, what else is going on? These three girls. Let's see what we can make the children do. Give them a gun and drop them in the desert. And so, yeah, so we were supposed to be seeing if we could, like, live off the land. But then slowly but surely, uh, sh- that's a funny joke. because What my does that name mean, is- live my- off the land? <laughs> funny. Were you, like, oh God, supposed to be doing agriculture? <laughs> Chris, my name was Shirley. That's my actual unironic name in this. I did a very funny thing just now, slowly but surely. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I have no idea. Basically, we were gonna like not have any technology. I don't know. It, it, it you can't get this bogged out at the minutia because none of it makes sense. None of it holds water whatsoever. But anyways, so I me only want to get bogged down in the minutia. Forget my, burn notice. This is what it's about now. My, my my friends slowly start getting picked off. Like they start just getting like fucking shot. And um, <laughs> we don't know why. And so like we go like we run away from this like mysterious shooter and uh, slowly. <laughs> this is presumably the, the manhunter. Yes, exactly. Hannibal so, Lecter. <laughs> so everyone gets shot <laughs> until me. So I finally get a showdown with this guy. Oh, you're the final who, girl. I sure am. I'm the final girl. And um, the the guy who's doing it is wearing like a full ghillie suit. Do you know what a ghillie suit is? I, I've heard that term before, but I don't. Yeah, I we we both it. grew up in the backwater, but you grew up in a different backwoods than I did. Uh, so no, a yeah, ghillie suit far is less like, water where I grew up. <laughs> I mean, there's not that much water where I grew up. We were in the fucking desert. I will. I swear to God, burn noticed subscribers. This will come. I will explain why I thought about this later. Uh, I hope you'll forgive this thing. I mean, Chris got to rant about fucking uh, BYU TV a couple of weeks ago for so a like, long I feel period like I'm of time. This. Yeah, I feel like I'm. You are allowed. allowed this. Well, no, I want to know everything. Jesus, <laughs> have you? Have I not? I, shown you've you talked this? to me about this before, but I don't think we've gone into this much detail before, and so okay. I want to fucking know. So in, as final girl, Jeffrey have, Donovan wants to know. Okay. So a ghillie suit is basically a full body like camo suit, but instead of just like being a camo pattern, it has a bunch of like 
like thread coming off of it. You know those like seventies like tassels. It basically like is fringe. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like a full fringe suit, but if you're like laying down in like the grass or the forest, it blends in because it's not like a flat surface. So this but has yeah. nothing to do with the character from SNL. Uh, no, it does not. It's just like yeah, like a fringed up army camo colored suit that you use for camouflage. Although given the areas that we were shooting in does not camouflage you because we were in the full blown desert. There is no flora or fauna for miles. (laughs) So as he has a gun to my head and having just killed the final boy who I was out in the desert with. And remember we are all It's really weird that you were put in a place where there's no flora or fauna and then expected to live off the land. I think we were going to like shoot rabbits or something because there are rabbits. But there's no fauna. (laughs) Uh, Rabbits are fauna. Oh, are they? I know this. Okay. Well, then I guess there's some fauna because there are rabbits. We would take our dogs out there sometimes and they chase the rabbits and have a good old time but anyways Gilly Sue was not helpful but he wore it anyways um the the person who plays this uh is played by my little brother's like friend's dad who I'm I guarantee is a Trump supporter I 100% guarantee that this man is a Trump supporter now but you know 20 years ago we didn't think about such things so he has a gun to my head and I'm like why did you kill all of these teenagers in the desert with that I was hanging out with, and he's like, "They're he goes, all bad I eat people." Them because I'm a cannibal. <laughs> no, it, no, it was it's stupider. Uh, and the th- reason was he's like, "Oh, they're, I was like, they're innocent kids or something." And he's like, "None of them are innocent. A thieving son, a cheating bastard, like something." He like lists out a couple of things, and in flashbacks we see that all of the guys that I was like hanging out with for this day were actually not good guys. Like one of them uh, stole a bracelet that he gives me earlier in the film from his mom. And so like, that's the cutaway scene that we get from him. So that justifies him being brutally murdered in the desert. And like one of the other ones, I don't know, like, is a is mean or something i don't remember but like each of the three guys that died had done something kind of bad and so this guy's like i i am justified in killing them oh and i i forgot to tell you the other the overriding thing that didn't seem to have anything to do with the plot but then it turns out to have a lot to do with the plot is before we go into the desert <laughs> we went to talk to this old man who lives next door to my character shirley you know the name that people in 2004 gave to their children and yeah. uh he his wife actually died out in the desert a couple, you know years and years before and it's like haunted him and so like we interviewed him for our story and for, so he could like take us out to the desert and he was like yeah we never know what happened knew what happened it was like really sad um you know and like there's there's always been rumors about like what happened to her out there but nobody knows so anyways i'm gonna drive you to the desert now and we're like great cool (laughs) so the the they was the old man that dropped you off uh the the, yeah 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 so the old man dropped us off dropped us off of the desert and then fucked off but luckily uh as the shooting ghillie suit man has a gun to my head even though my character i don't think has done anything i think yeah i was gonna ask what is what has shirley done i don't think shirley's done anything but shirley's done something but i've seen his face (laughs) so i think at this point it's just that i i know too much so now uh, regrettably he has to kill me i think you should have done something it would have been better if you had done something no i was a girl and i can do no wrong and so anyway so the the the, my neighbor comes up from behind and like shoots the guy and like shoots the guy in the head or something and like that's the final showdown but it it turns out the reason that his wife died is that she was cheating on him and so the ghillie suit man took matters into his own hands and like killed the wife so the wife died because she was a cheater in the desert so this like 
This, okay, wait, hold on. So Gilly Suit Man. <laughs> yes, Gilly Suit Man. Not Hannibal. Lives Lester. in the desert. Well, it's unclear if he lives there, but apparently okay, but a lot of bad people go out there and he can pick them yeah, up. Yeah, people just like, he's, is his plan to research people's sins and then wait in the desert for them to show up in the desert randomly? I think so. Because, like, Wait. here's the thing. <laughs> the bracelet that, like, my in uh, my boyfriend in the movie had, like, given to me earlier in the movie that apparently he had stolen from his mom. How the fuck did that guy know that? <laughs> like, the scene that he steals the, the bracelet in is clearly, like, inside someone's bedroom. How did this ghillie suit man see this random fucking teenager steal a bracelet from his mom's, like, armoire? or whatever, in his own goddamn house. Hey. Yeah? You know, my story note, my story suggestion for this story should have been that Gilly Suit Man should have explained to you Yeah. all the bad things that all these people did and why they deserve to die. Was it because of me? No, no, no. And then he should have handed you a gun <laughs> and told you to shoot him because he's also done bad. Things. He killed all these people. He shouldn't be allowed to want It's his, wander it's his around. final act. Like, exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. And, but he's also got like a gun on you, so he's like, shoot me or I will shoot you. I must die. That would have been really fun. Because yeah, my character basically doesn't do anything. I just like doesn't do run jack around. shit. Yeah, I don't do I don't do jack. I just run around and scream a lot. Um, but like <laughs> that's an that's an ending, because it's like this guy's going around killing people. This guy's a shithead too. Yeah, you know what? Manhunter 2. I think we're going to need to change some things up. Um, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so the reason that I thought of Manhunter, my my incredible role, uh, is that um, we were where we were shooting. It is a desert, but like there are um, like ditches, and usually they're totally bone dry. But it had rained semi recently, so there was like some standing water at the bottom of these like ditches and trenches that we were running around in, and there were so truly so many mosquitoes and flies that like it was impossible for you to talk without a fly getting in your mouth like there were so many bugs and i don't think like because it wasn't in the script we weren't allowed to mention it but we my brother kept trying to direct us to like just ignore them because you couldn't see them on camera very well because you know it was like 2005 and that wasn't a thing but like like the cameras were so bad but it was so like you can see in the movie you can watch the flies around us and all of us like twitching and trying not to swat at them and all i can remember is like i wish we could have at least said something about the flies in scene but like no improving. we have to be word perfect he should have just turned them into porks <laughs> the guy should have shot the flies out of the air like i saw that fly shit on somebody's bagel it was a bad fly and i killed him oh my god but yeah so that's how it's related so <laughs> that I, I wanted to know I bet so that they much about killy suit man <laughs> Yeah, it's we don't get anything from him other than like I know that people do bad things and I wait for them in the desert and kill them. He just waits <laughs> in the desert. Like again, if he knew about the bracelet, he had to have like had like if he has the power to know all these things, why does he have to kill them in the desert? <laughs> why can't he kill them in any other situation? I is he know. like I think he's trapped in the desert. I think like he is like some it's sort like of spirit. It's like his purgatory. It's like his purgatory. He cannot leave it. He's like, is he's haunting the desert. And Frankly, like, that makes more sense leave. than anything else. I don't, I think it makes total sense. It all tracks. Oh my god. How old was how old was your brother? I was I think fifteen. So my brother would have been like thirteen. I mean, I will say like for a thirteen year old 
that's like that's a surprisingly that's a decent twist for like a 13 year old there's no there's no twist a man is killing people well i mean the twist is that like they did bad things <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just like, random. There was a there was a method to the madness. Yeah, I think really, like that's it the was. Twist. My brother wanted to do like a fun like stunt thing, and like he and my dad had made like a hydraulic like blood spurt thing out of pipes. Ooh. And I remember we spent a lot of time because one of the boys gets shot in the leg, and so we did. A, we spent a lot of time like lining up a shot where you can like see the blood splurt splurt from his leg because of the like little blood cannon that we had positioned right behind it. So I think that was a big thing that he just wanted to do something with a lot of like blood and gut so that he could use the fake blood that we made and like use his blood cannons and like, you know, he's a 13 year old boy. Of course, this is the kind of I'm just saying, yeah, like for a 13 year old boy, he is like pretty like remarkably concerned with setups and payoffs. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, he he studied movies. He did a lot. He he made a lot of money as a, a young child filmmaker. He won a um, he won a contest about like an ant. He, he made a movie about like meth and how there was like a contest uh, where they gave you a script and you had to sh- like school children had to shoot it and it was like a PSA about the dangers of meth. They had like written a PSA and they got like teenagers and children to like make their own versions of it and i think my brother is either one or was like in the runner-up and so he got some money from that and then later in high school i think he shot like a documentary about atheism i think or not even atheism but it was like i think it was called like in god we trust question mark and it was about like government oh in paul and paul like religion and politics or something i don't remember but he won like a thousand bucks from C-SPAN for that one. So like, wow. like uh, yeah. And now he works as a as a PA and an AD in Los Angeles. I am fascinated by Manhunter. I want to talk about it forever. But I think at some point we have to talk about Burnettis. Yeah, I think we should probably get back to it. Regrettably. So Jesse was going to go do the A-plot case. Yeah. So Jesse leaves and Michael stays behind to whine about mosquitoes and like babysit this guy until he talks, presumably, or maybe they're waiting to see if somebody else comes. It's unclear. They're waiting for a call. They're waiting for the boss to call. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're waiting for the boss to like check up on like, hey, did you find the Bible yet? So we check back in with Chuck and Charles. So Chuck wakes up Charles and regales him with a bunch of very wild stories from the night before that uh, indicate that Charles got a little loose with his wallet. One detail I particularly liked of like all of these things that he apparently bought is that Sam says, oh, well, what about the suits that you bought us? So apparently he bought them both suits, which I just thought yeah. was a cute little bromantic detail. And um, no, I love the story that <laughs> Sam spins. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, the there's like just... <laughs> there's a lot of really fun little bits in there, and it it commences with there's this very fancy car out front, and he's like, "Where's my car?" And Sam's like, "What do you mean? That's your car?" He's like, "What? Yeah, you bought it last night. It's yours. This is your car now." <laughs> and he's like, "Can ah. I say the story of it's great too?" It's not just that he bought a car. Oh, right. Because it would have been fine if he just bought a car. But the story that Sam tells is that they were in his car, his normal car. They dented this car. The owner of the car was like, hey, you dented my car. And then, according to Sam, the British guy was like, no, I didn't. I dented my car. Mm-hmm. And he bought the car on the spot, I, which is I do delightful. I that now. 
It's, it's yeah, a delightful it's story that I I adore. Yes. And like he does a whole, he does a lot of, he does a big British accent when he's telling story. It's really good. Yes, it's 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 a very. I we all we love a hangover style moment where they get to create some kind of like wild thing that happened just off camera. Chuck is waiting for Charles to like check his bank account, but it turns out he doesn't actually have that information. So he drives off in his car. Um, and oh, they, they think that he's going to a bank, I think is they, they think he's going to run to check his bank. And so they've like bugged his car or something and, or they know they bugged his phone from like the night before Fiona bugged his phone. And so they're hoping he goes into a bank and they hear his bank details, uh, that way. But instead of that, he actually goes to a law firm and Fee and Jesse are in the car pursuing him. They can't quite make out the conversation he's having within the law firm because like it's a short distance bug so they have to drive a little bit closer unfortunately that means that because they have to drive closer to hear what's going on on the bug they are now within view of the window uh, of the office that they're in so they can get say really quickly i do like the way earlier that jesse shows up to meet fee and like fee is expecting michael and it's just jesse and she's just kind of like oh yeah sure whatever like i don't know it was a sort of beat it's like a quiet thing and it ends up mattering a lot in a second but like i like the way that it sort of integrates Jesse. I think it's interesting that just the way that she just sees, like Jesse shows up and it's supposed to be Michael and she just sort of like shrugs and it's like, oh, well, I guess and nothing has to be said. No one says anything. No excuse is given. It's just like, oh no, Jesse. It's just Jesse instead of Michael. Shit happens. I don't know. I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's, I think, setting up something that is annoying. It's setting yeah. up something that's not great. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, so they they drive the car closer to listen to the bug, um, and like I th- what they learn over the bug before they get made is that like he is not in control of his fortunes. He has his lawyer kind of manage the money for him, and the lawyer's like, "What are you talking about? Everything's fine." And he's like, "No, it's not fine. I have this fancy car. Look." And then they look out the window, and then they see this other car that's like suspiciously there—a bright blue Hyundai with four-wheel drive. Didn't you hear? Hyundai's got four-wheel drive now, and it'll get you out of tight spots. Anyways, so the security like goes downstairs to check out like who the suspicious blue Hyundai is and in order to not appear suspicious they do what always happens at this moment in spy romantic comedies and everything else yes exactly is that they start full on making out Uh, so Fiona romantically attacks Jesse and they make out and then the security guys were like oh this this is fine please leave and they're like okay bye security guards just buy it (laughs) Yeah, there's no questions. They're just like, oh, sorry, please leave. And they're like, okay. Everyone in this episode, <laughs> like, at certain at a certain point, just blindly believes what they're given. Yep. Like, even later, like, later, Sam is talking to British boy, bad guy Charlie, and it's like, you fell for that? <laughs> yeah, the fact like, that they're all gullible fools becomes a thing at the end. Anyways, yes, uh, Jesse looks Jesse because she doesn't know that that should be anything, but just, you know, if yeah, Sam she, was in there, she would have kissed Sam. She absolutely would. Well, I mean, we've seen them like get on top of each other before. Exactly. Like, you know, it's just a job to her. But when they pull off, pull away, uh, Jesse looks a little more rattled than usual. And so a little bit does Fee, which is the decision that I find most annoying is the fact that they're playing it like Fee is a little bit like, hmm. <laughs> Maybe something about this young hotshot is getting me going. Um, didn't yeah. love that. I also don't love that, like, Jesse's in love with Fee. 
Because, like, listen, Jesse, we can all see the writing on the wall. Fee and Michael forever. Just don't. Just don't. But this is a thing now, so <sighs> I guess we have to deal with it. Anyways, um, Sam and Fee meet with Emily, the client, at Carlito's with a plan C, since, unfortunately, the lawyer money men are not going to let them get access to the uh, bank accounts unless something more drastic happens. So what they're going to do is sow some malcontent between Charles and the money manager by introducing Michael into the plot. Chuck Finley does the classic burn notice, what did you get me into? I'm being followed, bit with Charles, uh, to set the stage of paranoia whilst Jesse and Fee build a bad bug to be discovered during a very tense slash sexually charged slash awkward montage. So basically the plan is Sam is going to make it seem like Charles is being spied on slash followed and now they're spying on slash following him and like what the hell did you get me into and the way that they're going to back this up is that they're going to make a very obvious listening device in the guy's like pool house or apartment or wherever the hell he lives Um, and so basically they're building a bug. This is confusing to me because okay so they bug it seems like they bug a like a stereo. A a stereo like it's a turntable Mm -hmm. is what it is they bug a turntable. And then later he says that his car is bugged. I think maybe I don't he know just what's assumes going on all of it is bugged. I think once yeah, he finds one weird. bug, he just sort of blanketly assumes they've bugged everything. I mean, he does assume a lot. Yeah. And you know what Can I also say, say really assuming? quickly, you were like ta- you mentioned how like this is all like pretty standard burn notice. There is a joke at one point where Emily's like, Do you guys just have like a manual? That has all of the stuff in it. Because, like, you just said that. Like, it was nothing. It's like, which I did like. Yeah. Emily is a very, like, audience insert kind of client this week. Yeah. What I did appreciate about it is that this is one of the first clients that we've had possibly ever that doesn't, like, completely lose their shit in act two. Like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm so nervous. How are you going to do this? I don't trust you. Like, usually in act two, when they check in with the client, like, the second or third time, they start, like, really getting panicked. And Emily's just sort of like... All right, that's next. You got it. This is She's weird, chill. but Emily fine. radiates mom energy. Yeah, chill mom energy for sure. She doesn't have any kids, it seems like. No, her husband died. But she radiates mom energy. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, yeah, so Jesse and Fee build the bad bug that the guy will find, and it's a very awkward sexually charged montage. Uh, then Jesse rejoins Michael at the buggy boathouse when their captive finally gets a call, and they learn during this call that their captive is an active military guy, which I guess is notable for some reason. I, I think it just is supposed to, like, indicate to us that Barrett is has, like, friends in high places like he can get an active military general or whatever to like do his dirty yeah. work and it also makes him more blackmailable sure yeah because he's got like a career to potentially lose yeah. over this whole whole ding dang thing um so they send him on his way after threatening the person who called and basically like hey get us barrett or nothing and then they hand um the active military guy some photocopies of the bible to prove that they're for real and they're like go talk to barrett only barrett don't show this to anyone else it has to go to barrett and then tell him to call us when he's serious and so that is over uh, then, of course, Charles finds the bug like a good little convoy and calls Chuck in a panic. And Chuck's like, OK, we are absolutely fucked. But I know a guy. Meet me at the hotel. At the hotel pool, Michael is there wearing aviators and plays Brooks, a dirty cop in baggy pants and an oversized brown short sleeved button up over a white T-shirt and immediately demands. He's a dirty cop that does not mind being called a dirty cop. Yeah, exactly. He's 
it, it's quite the alias, uh, Brooks. And so he immediately demands all of Charles's bank accounts so he can cut off the blue Hyundai couple at the pass. Because, like, they basically like, oh, I bet it's a couple. They drive a little blue car. What? I've seen that couple before. They were just making out. Um, and I think I think even Charles mentions that they're making out. And Sam is like, they were what? Because she hasn't told anybody at this point. Yeah, exactly. Fee hasn't mentioned that. Yeah. I did like this beat. Like, this whole plot is dumb. But I did like the beat of him, like, they were making out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they, um, they've set up Fee. Yeah, and, and Sam again is like, of course they're spies. That's what people do. <laughs> yeah. Have it, the did they, fucking... they should have committed. He should have. <laughs> like, was there any under the pants stuff? Then it was probably <laughs> fake. Yeah, exactly. And Charles is like, shit, I didn't think of that. Um, I've never watched Burn Notice before. So Michael is like, all right, so the only thing that I can do for you now is that you need to give me all of your bank accounts, which is a crazy place to start. But I guess we're running out of time in this episode. And of course, Charles pushes back and it's like, I'm not just going to give you this random dude my bank information. And then Michael goes like a little bit apeshit on him uh, until Charles backs down and it's like, fine, fine. I'll call my money manager. I don't have my account number on me. I need him to give it to me. Um, But then on the phone like asking the money manager for the bank account he learns something that we don't hear that comforts him and he's like actually brooks slash michael weston i don't need your help so everything's fine thanks so much for your help good luck chuck and then leaves and it turns out the team learns the money man has identified emily who's been hiring pis of all sorts so charles is just going to skip town while they quote unquote handle things so they know about the client I think at this point uh bad guy charlie also says that like hey i'm sorry you lost your money but i have some like marks for you mm-hmm. yeah i'll send you that, some like later. i can give you to make up for that money yeah uh so because they... he, he still trusts he still trusts chuck fenley complicit like implicitly at this point mm-hmm. yeah him and chuck are blood brothers and, um, or, you know, more like cum brothers. Bad guys just want to be friends with Chuck Finley. I mean, Chuck Finley just gives off that kind of vibe where it's like, whether you're a good guy or a bad guy, you want him around. You may be a good guy, you may be a bad guy, but you're a Chuck Finley guy. Yeah, exactly. There are only three genders. Man, female, Chuck Finley. Sorry, liberals. Oh, uh, no, gender. that sounds like some gender nonsense, and I am gender critical. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so they, they, they know now that Emily is in trouble. And at the same time, Michael hears from Fee that, uh, Emily, their client is hiding in a closet because two guys broke into her house to like, you know, quote unquote, handle things as we know is about to happen. Luckily, Fee is nearby and with some C4 and a beanbag shotgun, she easily takes down the goons by herself in a very fun sequence where she just absolutely takes them to pound town. It's very cool. I love it when tiny little Fiona takes down several big men. Brie, hold on, hold hold on, hold on. Yeah. What what do you think takes them to Pound Town means? I mean, they get pounded. <laughs> they get the shit beat out of them. I know it's usually used for like fisticuffs. That's not generally how it's used. Yeah, it's like generally like a like a punch like a punch kind of Pound Town. No, that's not that's not how I've ever heard that used. Oh, I'm sorry. Is there another use of the word pound that I'm forgetting? I'm pretty sure Pound Town just means getting the beat down on. So you're saying it means Someone, like getting some, some, beat off? Uh, yeah, it means getting. It's like uh, like you're you're going down to pound town, you know? Or you maybe sometimes people say you're going down during pound town, which I've always found confusing. Um, that is that is confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What well, happens well, next? 
<laughs> well, that was weird. Anyways. Can I say, though, like, she, like, blows one of them up, and then she hits him with a beanbag, and he seems, like, okay. And then she, like, calls Emily, and she's like, okay, everything's fine. And, like, yeah, they're both on the ground. It still seems like things could go bad pretty quickly. I like, think no, Fiona Emily, has it handled. It's, like, fine. Fiona has These two I mean, men might as well be sick up. puppies. <laughs> I mean, at that point, Fiona's got them. Anyway, so yeah. Emily's fine. Fiona's a badass, et cetera, et cetera. Chuck then drugs Charles before he can skip town because they're, like, having one final celebratory drink together, and Chuck drugs it. And then... Can I say, the first time they do this, the first time they do the blackout thing... They make have a whole spy tip. Yeah, about it's how about they need to get how... him drunk enough that he remembers getting that drunk. And so when he blacks exactly. out, to it's make not a surprise. It has to be plausible. It has to be plausible that he could have blacked out. So like, yeah, you get him drunk. And then once he's already drunk and he's just willing to accept things, like then you drug him. This is a spy tip, by the way. We'll talk about spy tips. But there is that is, this is a spy tip essentially telling you how to roofie someone. But that's not if you know that. But like... It's they go through the trouble of doing a whole spy tip about how you don't just immediately give them a drug to drink if you want them to believe it. And then Chuck just immediately gives him a drug to drink. In well, order he's trying to, to skip to town. It. He didn't want to get the drink in the first place. So like he was kind of out of options. And like I can I 100% feel you here because I, I had the same comment in my head. But also maybe there's an argument to be made about the fact that they have now established canonically in world that this guy blacks out sometimes when he gets drunk. So like maybe Except, they're banking on like, the fact that they've already all put they've in established, the, the first time. All they've established is that he, he blacks gets, out when he's with Chuck. He blacks family. out when Chuck is around. Yeah, yeah. Like, it'd be one thing if he was like, oh man, I'm always blacking out. Yeah. But, you know, we're at the end of the episode. We don't have time to handle logic. So when Charles finally comes to after blackout number two, uh, he wakes up watching Emily's boat back pain burn. And next to him is a bloody baseball bat and a bloody purse. And then Chuck comes driving up like a bat out of hell, screaming that Charles was giving Emily a Viking funeral and how Charles asked him to bring Brooks back and now they got to get out of there. And Brooks is like, I need a million dollars for my trouble. Um, And he uses like kind of like a New Jersey accent for Brooks and it's very strange and great as always. I like like this character that Michael plays sometimes, Mm -hmm. which is like a bad guy who's really annoyed. He has the demeanor of someone who has a cold but has to go to work anyway. (laughs) <laughs> like this is a very specific vibe yeah, and it's good. just like ugh I wish we had more of him because basically every time I Brooks get there he's like give me all your money no okay well when you need me again please give me all your money um, so Brooks is like okay you've definitely murdered this woman uh, I can get take care of this but I'm going to need a lot of money specifically I'm going to need a million dollars go get me a million dollars in cash right now um, and Charles is like, "Ugh, fine. I guess I killed this woman. I believe you implicitly. And so he calls his money man one more time and tells him to absolutely drain the accounts. And when the money man hears how much he wants to take out, he's like, well, what about my cut? And he's like, I don't give a shit about your cut. Drain it all. I'm taking all of it. Fuck you. Uh, and then he's like, also, like, if you get upset about it, don't worry. I know where your skeletons are buried. So he basically tries to blackmail the guy that manages his money, which seems like it's going to go over well. So then we uh, cut to a bank where the money man is handing over a duffel bag full of cash outside of it. And Charles acts like an ass digging his own grave, I assume. 
Uh, then Chuck and Charles share a limo, allegedly to the airport, to skip town. But then Chuck slash Sam reveals he's been drugging him, and the money manager is pissed that he's been such a dick and took all of his money, and he's sending some goons after him, and that he and Fiona, who is revealed to be the limo driver, told them where they could find him. Then they kick him out of the limo on an overpass and drive away. Triumph. Can I say really quickly, I understand why it, like, why it had to be Fee. I was kind of hoping it was Emily. Oh, that would have been funny. If Emily was driving the limo. Yeah. At the very least, been in the front seat. Yeah. It would have been nice. This this scene is very good, though. This episode reminds me a lot of that one, that other time that they conned a con man, got him to steal money from his bosses, you know, and it was like in a safe and like, and it turned out he was also kind of an idiot. Yeah, it was a bummer because when I read the IMDb description and the fact that Michael Horowitz was writing this episode, I was like, oh, hell yeah, leverage. Uh, it was not leverage. I was let down. Yeah, it's not quite leverage. I mean, I don't know. I've never seen leverage. Yeah, you're not allowed. You are not allowed to watch leverage until we finish Burn Notice. So basically, they kick Charles out of the car, and that's the end of Charles. We have a very quick wrap-up meeting with Emily where they reveal that Charles is still on the run and that all of the money they got from his, like, bag of money is getting split up amongst his victims. So all's well that ends well. Um, and then Michael and Maddie have a very tense conversation at Maddie's house over her packed bags because she's leaving town until Michael finishes his job with Jesse and either gets him to leave or tells him the truth. And Maddie's like, I can't be here anymore. I can't look at that poor boy in the eyes with his, you know, great hummus and his great face and lie to him anymore. I can't do it. Uh, but I, in the middle of this conversation, Barrett calls to reveal he is in Miami. He has heated the call and he is in town and will be in touch. And then Michael and Sam touch base at Carlito's about Barrett. And then we head back to the loft where Fee walks in first <gasps> to Jesse's gun in her face. The jig is up. Jesse did some digging and found that security tape of Michael leaving his old office, which I think was mentioned by um, wife hater Marv a few episodes ago. Yeah. I thought Fee covered it up, but apparently not very well. So Jesse found well, it. The thing that Jesse says is that the security camera footage from the building was wiped. But there was footage from a building next door. Ah, and that's that's something that uh, has come through. That That's a thing that they've done before. There's been several Burn Notice episodes where they get footage from the, yeah. the bodega across the street, et cetera, et cetera. So Jesse's figured it out. And Jesse is very upset. And specifically, I think here he says, like, the thing that he's most upset about is the fact that Fiona was in on it. Like, he's he's upset with his bros, um, you know, the lads that he sometimes has drinks with outside of a torture room. But yeah. it's Fiona that really hurts. But his crush. Fiona calls Michael to let him know that Jesse knows and that he's at the loft with her. And we end on a cliffhanger of Jesse aiming a gun at her head. Oh, no, we don't end the episode there. So Jesse aims a gun at her head and she closes her eyes, but he hesitates and leaves. And uh, Fiona calls Michael to say, like, hey, Jesse was just here. He knows. We're fucked. Yeah. It's a good cliffhanger. Yeah. It's a good cliffhanger. This, and this week I'm and a... next week have good cliffhangers. Like, Well, because we're finally, like, getting to the, you know, payoff of We're ramping Jesse's shit up. Mm-hmm. And I think they're actually doing a better job of pacing out the ramping up of stuff. Because normally the way that Bird Notice does things is, it just is that, like, there will be, like, there will be eight episodes of, like, nothing of trickle story trickle mm-hmm. and then there'll be one episode where literally everything happens well i think that you made a good point in the early s- episodes of the season which is that like the reason that it always feels so out of place any other time that we've done this is because we've never had 
the like the person be a client. Like Carla was never a client. Victor was never a client. Uh, fucking Tommy Ziegler from the White House was not a client. Like none of these people actually had an episode about them. Like the only episode they get about them is their finale episode. And so what yeah. worked about Jesse is that like he's been there the whole time. So we actually did have time to pace him out. He didn't just appear out of nowhere like fucking Simon. Like he is like living with Madeline. He's going on jobs with them. He is the job for one episode. Like it's a, we get to know him in his perspective. And so like when he feels betrayed and kind of goes rogue, it matters because we care about him. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Do more of that, Bernanos. Do you want to hear about the spy tips? Let's hear about the spy tips. So there's only five that I thought were even plausibly uh, good spy tips. There weren't actually that yeah. many this week. It was kind of a pretty light week because there was a lot going on. Tell me um, how to roofie someone. Yeah, we did learn how to roofie someone, which is very exciting. Uh, eventually, when the coronavirus dies down, I can't wait to use that information to roofie. So if any of these you disagree with, it fails this tenant. So uh, let's, oh let's hop into it. So spy tip number one, an effective booby trap not only needs to look like a good hiding spot, it also needs to leave your enemy incapacitated. A well-placed fi- 50 gallon oil drum should pique your target's curiosity and a portable defibrillator packs enough of a punch to make their heart skip a beat without stopping it entirely. Wire the defibrillator to a convincing decoy and whoever comes looking will be in for a shock. Connect the camera wirelessly through an internet phone provider and you'll be able to keep an eye on your trap from anywhere in the world without having to pay long distance. Can I say I love booby traps? I do too. I love it when they booby trap things. It's very fun and ingenious and it's like watching a Rube Goldberg machine but a person gets shocked. Exactly. So I'm on board with this tip. I enjoyed it all. It was great. Yeah, it was very fun. Uh, Number two, to create a blank spot in someone's memory, you need to be equal parts drinking buddy and amateur chemist. First, you need the target to party enough to make your story believable the next day. At the same time, you need to gauge their tolerance so that you can combine just the right amount of alcohol with just the right amount of pharmaceutical assistance. So the second part is not useful. The first part, had they stuck to it with the episode, uh, would have been a good advice because like that makes sense to me. So you can't just like fucking drug somebody right away because then they'll know they've been drugged because they had like only had one drink. Why do they feel like this? But if they remember yeah. having multiple drinks. Exactly. If you like actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I would like the second half better if they like gave us any indication of how to gauge one's tolerance. Yeah. Even if it was like but then behavior again, stuff, because yeah, like we don't, like, they don't want us to give, they don't want to give us like perfect roofie instructions, like bomb instructions. Let's maybe not get into detail about how to roofie someone. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I, this is a good tip. I wish they had stuck to it, or at least given us like yeah. a secondary tip of like, but if you don't have time to be an amateur chemist and like drinking buddy, then you know. This is how you can do something. I don't know. Or if, had they at least referenced it and like had the guy be harder right. to convince the second time? I'm just saying. Yeah, no, it's weird. So bad writing, good spy tip. Number three, there's an art to building a listening device that's meant to be discovered. It's not enough to make it look like a bug. It needs to have a fatal flaw to make sure someone finds it, like a high frequency transmitter that causes ear splitting feedback when placed near other electronics. This was good too. I thought this was interesting. Yeah. Uh, Number four, whenever possible, it's best to avoid charging into a building filled with angry men with guns. If going in is your only option, you choose the best place to stage an ambush, lock and load, and get your enemies to come to you. This is nothing. This is bullshit. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Let's. So read to me that next and last tip. Yep. Number four, police breaching techniques generally involve removing a door by its hinges or knocking it open with a battering ram. 
Military breaching techniques are a little bit more aggressive. They don't just try to get by the door. They use it as a weapon. So basically, Fiona gets into the house. Yeah, Fiona gets into the house by blowing the fucking door open but she waits to that's blow how it fiona open. gets into all houses exactly but she waits to open it until somebody is on the other side so that she not only can get into the house but also incapacitates at least one of the you know people she's after which i yeah. think is clever in the very uh, you're right a very fiona way to enter a house unfortunately uh, yeah. while that enough. is good there are only four so enough. moving on to but. reading the episode there are not at least five practical spy tips in this episode only four uh did we use spycraft over violence to solve the weekly case i do think we did though yeah we definitely did because you know the whole conning a con man while yeah, it was conning is, sloppily, is technically spycraft yeah and like they and I, did a booby trap yeah. They did a fake bug. I liked that. Anytime Chuck Finley runs in and screams about somebody giving a woman a, a Viking funeral is a, that's, a good episode. That's Spycraft. Yeah. It's definitely Spycraft. Anytime Chuck Finley screams about a Viking funeral, it's 100% Spycraft. You look at that and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that Spycraft I love. Was there a debuted or revisited distinctive alias? So we have Brooks How the Dirty Cop. How do you feel about Brooks? <laughs> He was in it for like half a second. I don't feel like we got enough out. Like he was such a late addition that I feel like we didn't he really was. get a we didn't get a sense of Brooks. What's his deal? What does he care about? What's he looking for? Like we got the fun Dirty you know, cop. New Jersey bad boy accent, which I always love. I love when Jeffrey Donovan gets to do accents because he's so bad at them, but they're always so delightful. But um I don't I don't think there's enough. Like I'm gonna forget about this dude as soon as we stop talking about this episode. This is true. There's nothing. The only thing I remember about, about him is that he was kind of annoyed and he did not mind being called a dirty cop. Yeah, but that's like not, not really anything. Like we're far enough into burn notice that like the aliases should be more fun. If the case yeah. of the weeks are gonna be the same fucking thing every week, at least give us a fun alias. Yeah, no. Like not make that him either. a little like like old style gangster like like flamboyant like he wears pinstripe suits or something you know oh like, my give god him, give him a thing oh my god but knowing this show the pinstripe suit will be various colors of beige shades of beige but you know what at least it's a fucking choice like he will be in a pinstripe suit that would double as camouflage in a desert <laughs> yeah i feel like in order for an alias to be truly distinct he needs to be in at least three scenes and have some kind of like defining feature that's not an accent unless it's a really outrageous accent uh, or like a yeah. thing he's after because like brooks was only in two scenes he was in the first scene where he's like give me your bank account information person i've just met and then the second time where he's like give me a million dollars so he's only in two scenes and all he's doing there is like furthering the plot so he doesn't have time yeah, to have he's a not like a character exactly like, like he doesn't michael's want not really playing a character yeah he's a prop at best yeah so, anyway. uh, nope. Were Fee and Sam used well? I think both of them were used well. Yes. This is a very oh Fee and Sam-centric yeah. episode. I think this is, like, the episode that this rule was made for. Yeah, exactly. Fiona gets to blow stuff up. She gets to laugh with her open mouth. Sam gets to be Chuck Finley and, like, tell all sorts of outrageous drunk stories. Yeah, it's a fun Fee one. Fee almost though. shoots a dude. She does, and she gets like, so incensed that she can't even take a meeting with Sam later because he wouldn't let her shoot the dude. Yeah. Like, that level of petty and violence is very good. Yes, I love it. Absolutely, it wins. Totally. Uh, okay, so this is going to be the tiebreaker because we didn't have at least five practical spy tips and we didn't have that distinctive an alias. So the tiebreaker for whether or not this is a great episode of Burn Notice is, is Jesse interesting enough to be a main character? 
Okay, I will say the love triangle-iness of it, not great. It's not great, but it does at least give him something to do. Like if they introduced it him, him something to do. and even though we're annoyed by the, the, the love triangle thing, that introduces a new dynamic. And had that happened earlier and been more of a conflict prior to him, like realizing the, yeah. the whole gotten got, at least it adds a new dynamic that would have potentially been interesting. But, wouldn't have been my choice, but even that alone, I think, would have given us enough because I think that adds a conflict to this like pretty locked and loaded threesome that we've been with for the last four this seasons. Is true. That like opens something up. Like yeah, also like he found out like oh, this yeah, is exactly. what you do with him. Like that's the like a hundred percent. It happened. Like yes, he was used well in the set. Like they pulled the trigger. He did not pull the trigger, but they but pulled the, show the trigger. Did, yeah, on like Jesse finding out and like yes. He was used well. He was used well. He was definitely interesting enough to be a main character because this is a conflict. This is some real spy versus spy crap that I am fucking into. It's some good shit. Yeah. So, you know what? By the skin of its teeth, this is a great episode of Burn Notice. It's a great episode of Burn Notice. I'm not going to make an argument for it being a great episode of television. It's I'm not better. either. It's like there was a lot of fun stuff in it. Like it, it feels like a return to like... Not return to form, because we know Michael Horowitz can do way better. But it's a solid effort. But it's a solid effort. And, you know, it's a fun episode. I I wasn't, like, constantly, like, who hurt you? <laughs> like that J.C. Tracy, J.C. Tracy, J.C. Tracy. Like yeah. that Jason Tracy episode from a couple of episodes ago. Like, I'm not mad at it. You know, there was some stuff that yeah. I'm like, really, bud? Uh, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a fine episode. It was so mostly it, just a little lazy, but, like. Yeah, it's a it's little solid. sloppier than we're used to. And Michael Horowitz, we love you. I mean. We do. He's been a little sloppier lately. He has been sloppier. Like I feel like he he peaked, and then I don't know. I hope he didn't peak. I mean, he may have peaked, but like I hope he like I like can reach a new high. Yeah, hang on. Or at least you know. Let me see when the last there can be another peak. I think the last great episode of television from Michael Horowitz was season three. What episode? You mean last season? Yeah, last season. Because he's had, yeah. like, three episodes since then, um, and they have not been great episodes. great episodes of but television. It, it, it's, I think it's, like, his first three were great episodes of television. Uh, his next three were not. So maybe we're, like, evening it out? We'll see, yeah. It was simply... It's still a pretty good track record. Yeah, I mean, definitely better than anybody else on the show. He's still our frenemy. He's still our frenemy. But, yeah, unfortunately, it's not enough. It's a B-plus Burnettis. Yeah. You know, it's, beep, it's a pretty beep. average burn notice episode. Like, I wouldn't be embarrassed to watch this one with a friend who wasn't as familiar if, like, we were flipping through the channels and just, like, needed something to watch. But, but you wouldn't show it to someone. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out of my way to show this episode to somebody. But, like, yeah. if we were flipping through channels and it came on, I'd be like, oh, this is a fun one. There's some fun stuff in here. Yeah, I would mostly be like, the only memorable thing about it is the ending. And, like, that's, like, it. Mm-hmm. Well, like the Sam stuff is fun. Like it's it's, it's easy watching. watching. It's easy watching. It is easy watching. I hate easy watching. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. <laughs> I I am a simple. I am but a simple woman. Uh, and that is 
the dichotomy of our podcast. It truly is. Um, so because I am a simple woman, we're actually going to be taking a short hiatus, not a long hiatus, but like we're going to take a holiday break, partially because I'm exhausted and partially because it makes our recording schedule slightly easier on us. So we are going to take the next two weeks off. So have a very Merry Christmas. This week is Christmas. Canonically, when you are listening to this episode, it's the week of Christmas. And you're like, why are they fucking still talking about the election? Because we record these in advance, fool. We in advance. So enjoy your Christmas. Enjoy your New Year's. And we will pick up uh, at season four, episode 12 on January 4th, 2021. So um, you will see us on January 4th. But until then, enjoy yourself. And happy holidays. uh, Happy holidays. Yeah. Brie, what's your favorite Christmas song? Ooh. Um... I like Silent Night. I, I think it's like kind of hauntingly beautiful and it's easy to sing. And I, I always appreciate songs that like are somewhat possible in my register. That's but like valid. The, but the, like the Mariah Carey All I Want for Christmas is such a classic. It is a classic. But like no, of, of, non, of, of non-pop culture Christmas songs, I think probably Silent Night. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think there's, there's religious Christmas songs and then there's like... Mm-hmm pop christmas songs right so like that's a decent pair yeah uh Uh, you want to know my least favorite christmas song what's your least favorite christmas song uh little drummer boy Fucking hate. Oh, yeah. Same, same. Thank you. I hate get out of little here drummer with that boy. Shit. Little drummer boy. I hate little drummer boy. It's, it's so the bad. Worst. It like makes my it's skin such a bad, annoying song. It's I hate truly it. so bad. Oh my god. Do you have a favorite Christmas song? I would say religious favorite is uh, "Come O Come Emmanuel." I don't know if I can. Uh, although "Oh Holy Night" is also really good. Mm, yeah. Or "White Christmas," uh, I also like. Because, like, I feel that I also prefer a white Christmas. I also like, uh, I believe it's called Christmas Wrapping by the Waitresses. If I'm going to pick a pop Christmas song. Okay. You've heard it because you've heard every Christmas song. Like, it's the (laughs) one. I'm I'm sure if you sent it to me, I would. Yeah. My Um, favorite Christmas album is the the Rafi one, which I think a couple of years ago I forced you to listen to while we made a Christmas. You did. Oh, my God. I mean, my favorite Christmas album is the Sufjan Stevens ones, but like. Yeah, that uh, and I for forced you. you to listen to that. That's how we. Yeah, work. I think. Yeah, I think we just traded off. But like, yeah, the Rafi Christmas album is just like the sound of my childhood, and to a lesser yeah. extent, the Sinatra Christmas album. The Sinatra Christmas album is fine, but the Rafi one is just like it's so, like genuinely childlike. Like, but not in like it a is. childish. I mean, way. that was Rafi. That was like his whole deal. Yeah, it's just it it it's good and reminds me of. Less complicated days. Yeah. Well, in, enjoy the memory of less complicated days, listeners. Yes. And uh, until January 4th, we will see you later. Uh, thanks again to Vince and EL for our theme music. If you would like to find more of Vince's music, maybe they will have come out with a, a Christmas carol version of uh, Fuck the Fire Department. Who knows? Yeah. It, the year is still young. Or the Linkara um, theme or whatever. I don't exactly. Know. Find more of Vince's music, Christmas carols, and otherwise at vinceneel.bandcamp.com. And uh, until January 4th, bye. Happy holidays. Silent night, holy night. <laughs>